Hello and welcome back to A Little More Conversation, a unique podcast created to promote honest and meaningful discussions about our mental health in the advertising industry, brought to you by Adelphoi Music. My name is Chloe Heatley. And my name is Lakin Clark. And today we're joined by Tamron Kerr, award-winning creative director at VML YNR in London. Welcome, Tamron. How's it going? Oh, I'm very good, thanks. Lovely to be here with you guys. Great. So we've just come out of lockdown number two. What was the first thing you did when the rules were lifted? Did you go shopping and non-essential shops or for a pub lunch? Or <laughs> I went panic buying Christmas gifts for my, um, for my million nieces and nephews and, um, and then saw a couple of people before I fly to New Zealand on Friday. So it was a bit of a panic. It's all been a bit of, of a panic, but um, totally totally good to be out of lockdown number two that was the hardest yeah it, it did feel longer as well I think with the winter nights as well it was a bit painful but really exciting you're going back to New Zealand and can see your family and stuff as well um so we'd love to get to know a bit more about you and your career um what sparked your interest in advertising and how did you get into the industry so I did a um bachelor of fine arts in Auckland uh, and that that was amazing. It was really interesting, but um, not particularly practical. So I was just a, a bit of a loss about what I really wanted to do. I knew I didn't want to be a, a you know a proper fine artist. I didn't think that was really didn't feel like a good fit for me. And then one day, on the very few eight a.m. lectures that I actually attended, I think it was like I, I think I only managed to attend two for that semester. Um, I just happened to have a, a previous student, he, he popped in and um, he he was the head of art at uh, an agency called Publicist Mojo, which doesn't actually exist anymore. Um, and he'd, he'd done a fine arts degree at the same uh, art school that I did. And he was absolutely mad as a hatter. Like he was completely, yeah, he was completely mad, but he just sort of walked in and and he said oh this is amazing career that you can do and you could be an art director um and it's brilliant and this is what I do for a living and I thought that's what I want to do like instantly because I just didn't really know that it was a possibility like nobody really comes into school and says oh you can do this great thing where you get to think of creative ideas and you get to kind of you know play in different areas from print to tv to just anything you know digital like technology everything Nobody ever tells you that, which is a bit sad. So to have discovered it, I thought, yeah, that's 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 what I'm going to do. I had to then write out the next two and a half years of art school to finish up and get my degree, and then work out a plan from there. But that's how that got me on got me on the path to advertising, path to where I am today. And so how did you get into advertising after that? Did you get a placement or did you go to advertising school? Uh, what did you do next? Yeah, I didn't. I did went to ad school for about a year, uh, partnered up, uh, sort of very similar to the Watford College that uh, you guys have here. Um, but we call it media design school. And I got myself a partner and then we went and we door knocked until we got a placement. And then the placement turned into a job. And then we worked very hard for the next, you know, uh, four years until we got our next job. Um, so we worked in New Zealand for about, I think, 
all up probably just under six years before moving over here, um, which was great. A really good start to my career, really, working in a place like New Zealand because it's so small that you know everyone and you get to do a lot more stuff. Um, I think it gives you a bit more, just gives you that like really nice base to be able to move over to London with. And how did you find the transition of moving from New Zealand to London? How, was that a big change? Yeah, I mean, it was huge. Like compared to our little, we I was at one of the biggest agencies when I left. I think it was the second largest at about 70 people and then to move to London and you've just got like floors of people that you don't even get to meet and it's yeah it's just a, it's a lot bigger a lot more money involved a lot more things that can go wrong um but also a lot more amazing people to kind of learn from and and to you know a lot bigger brands to work on and to grow and to you know to do stuff for so that's that is the benefit about London and it's such a great city as well I mean just like exciting and energetic and you know just has everything going for it and for somebody who you know loves fine arts I mean just great base to you know to to be at really with all the art that's around culture and stuff like that. Yeah absolutely Uh, and so I would love to jump straight into talking about mental health you have been in the advertising industry for over 13 years now and what is your experience or observations of mental health within the industry during this time? I think we've got a lot more awareness now than when I first went in about you know that people have you know to look out for people's mental health and and to be aware that you know people will have different issues and um and that you have to be a bit more understanding And I think there's a lot more of a focus now on looking at how we can sort of stop this sort of crazy work culture as well, because it just doesn't really breed, um, you know, very good uh, mental health for people in general. Like I think that, you know, the sort of like crazy work culture uh, can be quite detrimental. So I think there's a lot more awareness about that now. Um, Although I will say like COVID's probably hindered that slightly. It's like just made us take a a couple of steps back but I think all in all um as long as we can just you know try and maybe next year just keep everything a bit more on track for you know looking out for people and being you know being a bit more understanding as an industry yeah absolutely I mean we're hoping this podcast will uh will help as well keep that momentum going and keep that conversation going um and so as a, as a young creative growing up through the industry, um, was, there, there, was there much support for you during your career um, mentally as well as kind of career-wise? Not really, to be totally honest. Um, yeah, we ju- I always just found that because we worked in teams, so I, I've always had a partner up until about maybe about four years now. Um, I, I've always worked in a, you know, in a team. So really my biggest support was that partner um, because you, you do everything together. I mean, you work, you work like, you know, 10 or 12 hours a day together, sometimes on the weekend, go out together. You know, it's just, they're sort of like your work husband or wife. Um, mine was a wife. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so she was my biggest support, I think, uh, for the time that I've been in London. Um, just mainly because we were doing the same things. We both moved to London around the same time. So we, we teamed up and um, we were having the, you know, similar experiences, you know, finding flats, you know, navigating the job market when we didn't really know anyone 
um, you know, door knocking together was, you know, you're in the same boat. So I think you're each other's biggest support. Yeah. We found um, a Guardian article from 2016. It's maybe a wee bit old, but I think the the uh, I, the concept is still there. And it basically said that 88% of young female creatives say that they lack a role model. And I think that sort of is shown in what you just said as well. And you're on the She Says Committee and you're a For Girls uh, mentor, For Creative Girls mentor, sorry. Um, how important is it for young women in the industry to have a mentor? I think it's really important. Um, I think it's really important that people, that whoever your boss is or whoever you're working closely with takes an active interest in your career because it can be quite a lonely industry, even though you're in teams, it's like sort of can be a little bit dog eat dog sometimes and a bit sort of every, every lady or man for themselves. Um, I think I think that it's really important that people have someone to like look up to and to learn from and to um and to, you know just to kind of get a bit of a role model in terms of what you know if you want to become a leader what sort of leader do you want to become or if you if you want to be somebody who wants to move into maybe directing then who you know who can you look up to who's done that I think it just it's really important that people coming through the ranks see those people so that they know that it's doable. I think that's, yeah, I think that's really key. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess there is a really great value exchange from the relationship between the mentor and the person who's being mentored, where you're both getting something really positive back from working together. So do you have any mentors and what advice would you give to someone who is maybe looking for a mentor? Um, I have had a lot, but I wouldn't kind of probably call them sort of formally mentors so I never really uh did as did a lot of the programs uh that are programs that are available today because they just weren't available to me um I signed up for the she says who's your mama program a couple of years ago and I actually got a brilliant mentor in Sue Higgs um who has recently just left grey um but she was brilliant she uh we, we we sort of only really met a couple of times but it was enough to kind of give me, I just had a lot of questions that I wanted an outside opinion on. And I think that was pretty, pretty brilliant. So now I've signed up to do the same program. So I'm helping somebody else um, by, well, helping mentor somebody else in the same way that she did for me. Um, so, I mean, it might even be just them picking my brains about, you know, how to move, you know, sideways in their career or how to change things in their career or, um, I think a question I get quite often uh, through all of the different mentees I've got, it's a lot of people who are really struggling with confidence and they want to know how to help the, their confidence, which I always find is a really hard one because confidence is just something that's so un- like individual to each person and, and, and trying to grow somebody's confidence. It's more the, the thing that I think that I give is just that little bit of reassurance so that they can grow their own confidence because, you know, everybody's got their strengths. So by getting that, those little bits of reassurance, I think, yeah, I think they can work out what those strengths are and then that's how their confidence grows. Um, but yeah, that, that's what I found so far. And do you think there is an ideal time to start looking for a mentor? That's a good question. I, I think there's probably mentors are all around you really. Um, the way 
I've sort of, I've had a lot of bosses and they've all been lovely. I mean, well, mostly all, I've had a couple of stinkers, stinkers as well, to be honest, but, um, but for the most part, they've all been absolutely lovely. But I think that the, the difficult thing is that the fact that I just have had very little in common with any of them. Um, I'm, you know, I could go and have a chat at the pub, but I think it's sort of, you know, it only goes so far really. Cause I mean, we're, we're so, so different, you know, generally as people, um, I think, and we've had such different ex experiences that, yeah, we've had nothing in common. So what I've tried to do throughout my career is just surround myself with amazing people who have their own strengths and they've acted my, like a little support group and a support network for me. Um, and everywhere I've worked, I've sort of just found my people in whatever place that I'm working in. And then I've always just kept in touch with them. And I think for, for, for that, from that, I've gained this just incredible support network. And I think that for me is as good as a sort of formal mentor, because every time I've, I've sort of struggling with something, or I think I want an answer to a question, I sort of just reach out to whoever in my support, <laughs> in my support network and sort of pick their brains. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, they're so just, really amazing women who are all like incredibly talented in that industry um all going through similar things um and i think yeah they're, they're my they're my mentors really although not sort of formal um yeah they're they're definitely them yeah i think it's so true what you say because for a lot of us including myself we we haven't all felt the benefit of having a strong and relatable connection with our bosses uh, and for a lot of creative women growing up in their career i can imagine that being really tough with the the lack of female mentors in in senior creative positions back then so yeah, I think it's it's necessary we recognize the importance in investing in these friendships and support groups within our industry to to pull us through those difficult times or, or to inspire us. I I know I can turn to my mom or my my best friend if I have a problem, but when it comes to work, I know they're not going to fully understand or, or offer me the advice I need. Yeah, I mean like your family, like my family have not no I, real idea about what I do. I mean, the industry is like not really like any any other. Um, I mean, my mum's been there f through the whole journey, so I think she has some idea now, but I, I don't think anybody truly understands it until you're actually in it. It's very unique. Um, so I think having those people who just completely understand if there's a, po a political situation that completely understand the politics or there's an agency situation that completely understand all or they've been in the same boat themselves and navigated out of it or haven't navigated out of it, but have a story, you know, some words, wise words to give you. Um, yeah. So I think, I think just they sort of have to be in the industry really to be able to get good advice. Yeah, absolutely. And so as a, as a leader in your role, what steps do you take to protect the health and wellness of your team when working on projects? I like to check in on everyone every now and then, even if I'm not working with them. I think uh, COVID's made that really uh, making, made it really hard to keep track of how everybody's doing. Cause normally you could sort of see if somebody's having a bad day by looking across um, a desk. Whereas now if I'm not actively working with them, with people, I just don't see, I just don't see it. So I think 
I think that's made it super, super tricky to keep in touch with everyone. But normally it's just a case of just trying to keep in, you know, touch with everybody in both individually and in their own teams and just making sure that you're aware of all of the little bits that they've got going on. I mean, big or small, um, we've all got our own stuff going on in our lives. And I think as long as you, I try and just, I'm really understanding about that because I think something that's small to me might be really big to somebody else or uh, some, you know, even just like moving areas might be, you know, moving house might be a big deal to somebody. Other people might be going through relationship issues. And I just think, yeah, just try and keep in touch with everybody um, as much as possible and just be really understanding um, that, that we've all, we're all going through our stuff and it's all very, yeah, it's all very, very different. Have you noticed if your team have been a bit more open about talking about how they feel since they've been working at home? I think it de- it just depends on the person. So I think I've tried to be really open about how I've been feeling and and then just, you know, hopefully other people feel like they can as well. Um, I think, yeah, as long as I'm open and honest about what's going on in, in my world, um, then, yeah, those to stick, try and keep those conversations open, really. Yeah, I think it's really tricky for leaders this year. And and there's been lots of talk on this topic about the Im- importance of maintaining human connections with your colleagues. And, and there are some really interesting methods that are being introduced to to help monitor the, the health and wellness of staff. And and lots of companies are having to work extra hard to, to create a, a safe space for people to have those mental health conversations with each other because like you said, it it becomes almost impossible to pick up on those signs when you don't get to see them every day in the office. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's really hard when you're not in the room with them, because I think I'm generally quite good at reading people and being able to see where there's a problem or just notice a pattern of somebody not, you know, either not looking happy or maybe their work isn't quite where where it's normally is or where, where the, um, you can just normally tell, right, if there's, if there's a problem going on with someone. So you can sort of grab them and have a chat. But, yeah, this has been really, really hard. And then obviously because COVID is so unusual, like as in we've never really experienced anything like this before, um, everybody has their own individual challenges. Um, you know, like where you live has become so unbelievably important. And, you know, people, people have you know, annoying flatmates. Some people have, they're living, some people are living by themselves. So that's like huge, isn't it? You know, if you're living by yourself and that sort of sense of isolation, um, some people are working with kids in the room. Uh, so I think, I think just checking in all the time or as regularly as like, I try and do it as regularly as possible just to just fire them a little message and go, how are you guys doing today? Are you How's everything going? What are you working on? Is is that even if I'm not working with them, I just think just checking in, just making sure that somebody's at least watching, watching over them as opposed to just only really checking in for work. Because I think that there is with the amount of work that we're all having to do at the moment, um, and the amount of hours that we're all pulling, it's really easy just to keep everything about work. And then suddenly you've you've spent 10 hours a day talking about only work and you haven't even asked the people who you you see on on camera how they actually are 
And so, um, as you just said, we are almost at the end of a very grueling year. Um, what has been the main challenges of 2020 and, uh, personally and professionally? Oh, it's been a... Uh, am I allowed to swear on this? Sure. <laughs> it's been a fucker, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it has. I mean, to me, like... I'm going to sound really moany now. So we were doing some renovation work. So I've spent the most, most of 2020 with a giant hole in my house um, and covered in building dust, which has been like less than ideal. <laughs> but I think, yeah, the biggest, the biggest challenges are just not being there in person to have a talk to people. I, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't call myself an introvert. Um, so I like the company of others. I love chatting to people. I love being there in person and going, you know, even just going out to get coffee with someone. And I just think having that suddenly taken away with no notice, um, us all being in different parts of the world sometimes, um, I think that has been, it's been really, really challenging. And then added onto that, this, the fact that you're sort of work is home and home is work. And there is no separation. I don't have my, as much as I hated my commute, that um, sort of hour on the train was enough to kind of give me a little bit of separation between work and home. Um, it just that sort of like even unwinding, listening to a podcast or to music or, uh, or even just listening to the people next to me speak and chat about, you know, gossip or whatever, um, was enough to kind of take me away from work for a minute. Whereas here... It has been, it has been just work, you wake up and you work and then you go sleep, <laughs> you wake up and you work again, which is, I think has been, that has been the biggest challenge, I think. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that's been the challenge across the board for everybody. Because I think if you're, I think we're obviously very fortunate because the industry has had a massive hit this year. And I know that there are a lot of people out of work, but I think it's affected everybody in different ways. Because if you were furloughed, then you've got the sort of the sort of worry about what your future is in the role. If you're a freelancer and can't find work, then obviously you've got quite a lot of time on your hands to wonder about the uncertainty of the industry. And then if you've been in in work the whole time, you might not have had as many people around because of you know budgets being squeezed and uh, you know, you've just ended up doing way more work, I think, in general. Um, so I think everybody has been affected by this. There's nobody that's got away with um, through this COVID period, scot-free, really. Yeah, it's been an absolute shocker, hasn't it? But, you know, there has been some really good things to come out from this year, from improved work-life balance to personal wellness. Um, I don't know about you, but I've been incredibly inspired by the level of resilience and creativity that our industry has shown this past year. So what are some of the positives you will take from 2020? <laughs> What the positive, I think, to be honest, the positive things that have, come, that have come out of this year, for me, I think we've got better as being, uh, at solving problems, like quickly and like in a, in a different way. Because I think, obviously, the industry has been going the same way for a very long time. And as we know, through various things, it's been quite averse to change. And there is, I mean, change has been like thrust upon us. Uh, whether we like it or not. And so I think we've all had to sort of adapt and uh, 
and solve problems a lot quicker. I mean, every, on every level. So from working from, you know, remotely on that level, doing pitches remotely, um, doing productions remotely, uh, troubleshooting through not being able to do a shoot um, or, or not, you know, not wanting to risk a shoot. All of those things, we just had to get really, really good at solving at solving problems, which I think we've all done quite well at, to be honest, because, you know, we still see work, great work come out this year, which is, you know, a miracle. Um, you know, obviously it's not as much as normal, but like there's lots of great work still coming out, which, I mean, proves that we can do it, right? So we can do pretty much anything. We can still make great work. It's just not in the way that we're used to doing it. So how do you manage your happiness? Do you have any tools or tips for our listeners? How do I manage my um, I'm really happy when I'm being productive. So I, uh, how I manage my happiness is just by making sure that I'm always being productive in whatever I do. Um, that makes it quite tricky though, because sometimes I can be, sort of get a little bit too much into stuff and I become a little slight bit of a workaholic. So that, and then then I'm not happy. So it's a fine line really uh, for, for someone like me. Um, I think having regular breaks and taking holidays is so important because I think having that sort of step back from what you're doing and sort of step out of the chaos gives you that perspective on on everything. So even if you're having sort of a crisis one week, and you have a holiday the next week, you might not think about the same thing as being a crisis anymore because you're able to sort of have that perspective and, and get that little bit of, you know, a reality check. Um, and then the other way I manage my happiness is I just surround myself with really lovely, amazing people and as much as possible and just regular chats with them, whether it's even just on, you know, WhatsApp or, or just call them. I mean, I'm used to video calling anyway, like often or like pretty much daily because I've got so many friends and family back home in New Zealand. So, I mean, my, my walk down to the train in the morning would be to call my mum every morning. So, um, without fail and just to, you know, we have a chat like, cause it would be her evening. So I, I'd, you know, ask her how her day went. I'd talk about what my, my day was going to be like. So that, that, really keeps me happy just keeping in touch with people yeah I totally agree with you there talking to my friends and and family have really got me through this year and so we would love to do a bit of forecasting into the new year what are your goals and ambitions for 2021 the the best year of our lives (laughs) I have this feeling it's going to be like and and I'm obviously not downplaying um uh, I'm not downplaying the war by any stretch of the imagination, but I have a feeling that, you know, the sort of roaring twenties that came when the war, uh, the war was over um, or the fifties or, you know, when everybody sort of the year after when everybody sort of celebrated and went a bit mad, I suspect we might get a little bit of a taste of that next year where everybody sort of re-embrace, well, embraces the, um, all of the things that we didn't have this year. So I think from that point of view, I'm quite looking forward to that. So next year work-wise, I think, it's just kind of getting everything back on track, isn't it? It's just going actually sort of a sense of the new norm. I hate to say the new normal. Sorry. I apologize to everybody for using that term, but you know, just finding out what that is and then just kind of getting everything back on track to being good again, you know, being able to do productions properly, I think would be really, 
really important and, you know, trying, you know, make sure that the standard of the work's really, really high. But then obviously not forgetting everything that we've learned this year, that we can do things. We don't have to be in the room all the time. And we, um, we can do certain things remotely and still make it work. And you can, you know, maybe not, you know, work flexible hours around your family and, and, and still again, make, make that work if that's, if that's what you have to do. So I think it's just going to be a case of trying to settle back into what that is, um, but also make it better than what it was before, really. It's a really nice way to think about it. And um, we always like to wrap things up with a bit of wisdom and positivity at the end. Um, So do you have any advice for young creatives that are coming into the advertising industry today or next year? So, yes. It's my advice is just to hang in there, to to definitely to know what you want and to go after it and to to do everything that you can and just not give up. Because I I mean I'm not I'm not downplaying how much harder it is um it's going to be um in the next little while and it has been this year um for anybody wanting to break into the industry. I think it's been really, really tough. But I think it is possible. And I think as long as you're really focused and you work hard and you know you've got you've got that goal, I think it's definitely doable. Um, I uh, I've just seen I think it's SEA is offering twenty scholarships uh, for their course next year. So there's like there's a whole bunch of things that are going on to try and try and support people coming into the industry. Hopefully, placement programs will start to open up again next year. I've started seeing them um, more and more. Uh, advertising and um, more and more out there so I I think it's just showing you that things are you know the wheels are starting to turn again um, and just yeah just definitely be focused and know what you want to do and just you know don't don't give up um, try and try and talk to people try and get in as much as possible um, yeah try and find try and find a group of people around you who you know can be your little support network to try and get you in in the your foot in the door and so for a young person looking to get an internship or a placement, how do they go about doing that? It's it's super variable. So it can it can happen in, in completely, yeah, it can happen in completely different ways. A lot of the ad schools will, ha- will sort of uh, uh, have a whole bunch of teams released at the end of the year. And then the teams go in and try and find, um, try and find a placement together. Um, there are a few uh, places like Brixton Finishing School that will team you up as well, and you don't. It's sort of less of a formal type ad school, um, and then they, the, you know, we've had a team, a team from there in that were absolutely brilliant, and they were paired up there. Or people can, you know, f- make start making a book by themselves and then find somebody and team up, or they can make a book by themselves and just go in as a solo. So there's lots of options for people coming in. Um, I think the most important thing is that you've got a, as a creative, that you have a book and that your book is, you know, can show you the sort of thinking that you're capable of. It's, that's basically your CV to get you, to get you in the door, really. And how essential is it for young creatives coming into the industry to get uh, formal training like ad school? I think I think it's completely possible to not go to ad school and still get in. Definitely, you just got to. Um, 
it's just a slightly harder because you you don't necessarily know what the the things that people are looking for so you just have to be a lot more proactive in trying to work out what it is that you need to do um my uh, partner in when I before, my, my most recent partner Sarah she didn't go to ad school um and she was brilliant you know one of the best copywriters I've ever worked with so um and then my uh you know I've worked with other people who I did go to ad school with and and they were also brilliant so I think it's completely possible to come at it either way I'd like to think that you don't necessarily have to have gone to ad school because you know it's expensive it's sort of generally churning out the same sorts of people um I think it's hindering diversity although I'm really hoping that they're, they're really actively, you know, trying to encourage a diverse, you know, bunch of students in, into the new years, um, the new intake, sorry, that they're getting in. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to think that it's possible without having to do that. I just think it's, you're just going to have to do it. Be really proactive. Thank you, Tamron. That was really interesting. And I hope that it's helpful to any young creatives out there listening. We are really excited to see what you and the team at VML YNR create next year. And we hope you have a wonderful time with your family in New Zealand. Thanks so much for having me. And yes, you guys have a great Christmas as well. So that's it. Thank you so much for joining us, Tamron. We really appreciate it. Um, for anyone listening who would like to find a mentor or know more about the She Says Committee or the Four Girl Creative Girls platform, we have included links in the podcast description. Thanks again to Delphoy Music, including Andy for making us sound like we're all in the same room and Jamie for giving us this music. Have a nice day, everyone. Bye.